be seated. If you're new to Grace Fellowship, you may have thought a couple of times this morning, I've never heard that song before. Uh, we acknowledge that uh, our worship, the, the way that we do music here, is a little bit different than maybe what you'll find in other places, uh, and, that's, uh, and that's intentional. Um, that song that we just sang, as well as the first song that we sang, are both old hymns. Uh, the first song was actually written by John Newton, the same man who wrote Amazing Grace. Uh, the reason that we like to, that we want to sing those songs is because we, one, they're incredibly rich, right? You, you, you saw how much dense, God-centered goodness was in that song that we just sang. So much as like, wait, what, what, what am I saying? What am I singing, right? The, 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 the words require some chewing on. And we think that's good, right? It's always, it's always good to get the brain the gears turning. And so that's one of the reasons why we uh, choose many of the songs that we do. Uh, but we also recognize that some of those older hymns are sung in ways that are kind of foreign to our ears and it doesn't quite jive. And so many of them uh, have been brought into um, newer arrangements. You can play with a guitar or piano or whatever. So uh, hopefully that's not too off-putting to you. That's the reason we do what we do. We want worship to be very God-centered, not very us-centered. Uh, and so that means that that even affects the songs that we choose. Um, all right, so we are nearing the end of our series in Proverbs. Uh, we have been doing that this summer. It's called Walking with the Wise. Uh, and today's is actually kind of a part three. Um, two weeks ago, we talked about wisdom and our work. And the main idea of that sermon and what Proverbs says about our work is that work is good. Uh, it's good for us, and it's good for other people, right? And the, the character that we met in that, uh, in that series, in that sermon, uh, was a special kind of fool called the sluggard, or the sloth, or the lazy person, right? And to that person, wisdom says, work. Work is good. That's beneficial to you. It's beneficial to others. Um, last week, we talked about our wealth, what our work usually produces. I say usually. Sometimes you work really hard and you don't get the production that you'd hoped for. But by and large, Proverbs recognizes that uh, wealth is a result of work. And what we saw last week was uh, the wise person uses his or her wealth not just for themselves, right? We do need to be fed and clothed and watered and sheltered. But that primarily the wise person uh, honors the Lord with their wealth. And then gives freely to others, gives generously to others. That's what, uh, that's what wisdom calls us to do with our wealth. Uh, and so today, the third piece of that, we're going we're gonna to delve into what that generosity looks like. And we're going to talk about another important theme in the Proverbs and in the Bible as a whole. And it's the theme of justice. I realize as soon as I say that word uh, that, that this is a hot button issue. Uh, that a, a switch might have flipped in your brain. Uh, and you wanted to go and run for the red flag or the blue flag, okay? Um, I know that this is a, a divisive topic in our culture when we use that word justice. But it is a word that the scripture uses often. Uh, it is a word that Proverbs uses often. In fact, I had a hard time narrowing it down to uh, uh, just a couple of verses for us to look at this week. So I want you to remember that Proverbs is something like a good river guide. How many of you have ever been whitewater rafting? Uh, but if you're on a particularly intense river, uh, you want a guide. You want somebody in the back of the boat 
you know, who knows where the big rocks are and where the dangerous waterfalls are and steers you in the right direction. Now, that guide never guarantees you you're not going to get wet. In fact, it's very likely that you're going to get splashed by cold water a lot, okay? Uh, It's possible that you might even fall out of the boat and then jump back in. But wisdom is that guide, right? Knowing the contours of the river, knowing what God's law says, and helping us to navigate, right? So God's wisdom helps us to navigate with skill devices, uh, divisive and difficult topics like justice. So let's give our attention to God's word. We're going to be in Proverbs 31. Our, our main verse this morning will be Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. I will reference some other verses as we go through. Um, let's, uh, let's give our attention to God's word. If you're using a Bible there in the chair, it should be page 552. Uh, And these are actually words, uh, the words of King Lemuel. We have no idea who that is, Uh, but his writings are included in here in Proverbs 31 uh, as uh, as good wisdom for rulers. So let's give our attention to them. Proverbs 31 verse 8 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us? Uh, Would you help us to gain a heart of wisdom? Would you help us to know how to speak to our own hearts uh, on this issue, but also how uh, the Bible encourages us to speak and address uh, this issue in our broader culture? Lord, what does it mean for us to be uh, generous and just people? Uh, We pray that you would take your word and you would apply it to our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the, the main idea for today is that the wise person reflects the heart of God by caring for the poor. And we're going to unpack that. But the wise person reflects the heart of God by caring for the poor. And the way that we're going to approach this is we're just going to ask some questions, all right? We're going to, we're, going to ask, uh, we're going to ask some questions that help us to define our terms and then set us in a good direction. So the first question we're going to ask is, who are the poor? What do we mean by that word poor? The second question we're going to ask is, what is justice exactly? What do we mean by justice? And we acknowledge that we bring some loaded definitions to both of those words. And so we're going to try to get a clear definition from Scripture itself and see what it says. And then the final question we're going to ask is, why should we care? Why is this a a direction that wisdom takes us? Why does the Bible say so much about this? So, first, who are the poor? What, What is meant by that word? And what you see in the Bible is that there are actually different categories of poor people in the Scripture. There are different groups that that word addresses. Uh, and we talked about one of those words last uh, or two weeks ago when we talked about work, right? We talked about the sluggard, and we talked about how diligence or a lack of diligence, how laziness can lead to poverty. So we've, we've addressed that issue. We did it two weeks ago. If you weren't here for that, you can go online and, or on our podcast, and you can listen to that sermon. But yes, we did say that there are poor who are, or there, there are people who are poor 
uh, by their own laziness. All right? But there are other categories of poverty in the Old Testament, uh, and these, would, uh, these are the afflicted. Right? That's one set of uh, words, afflicted or oppressed or disadvantaged. All right, so there's that category of poverty as well. And so these would be people who do not have means or connections or support. Okay, so under this category, in this bucket, would go the widow uh, who does not have a family support network, right? She's lost her husband. Uh, A great uh, example of this would be Naomi in the book of Ruth. Not only does she lose her husband, but she also loses both of her sons. Right, So she would be poor in that regard. She does not have, she no longer has the social network of the family that would have provided for her. Okay, uh, So the widow, the orphan, those, and, and by and large in the Old Testament, this would be people who were fatherless. Right, So this would be the children of widows. It wasn't common that you would lose both parents. We don't have a lot of examples of it in the Bible. But uh, the orphan would fall into this category. The foreigner or the stranger fell into this category. And so, and so our modern word for that would be immigrant. These would be people uh, who had moved to Israel for work or whatever, but they didn't have the connections, right? Their families weren't there. They were, they were foreigners to the land. They were strangers to the land. And so they were open to being abused, right? So they, they fell in this category as well as did slaves, Okay. So you have that category of poor people. And these are the kinds of people that Proverbs 31 is speaking about. So let's look again at at verse 8. It says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute or those who are fading away. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So when it says poor and needy, those are the people that it's talking about. People who uh, don't have connections, people who don't have means, people who don't have support. And what's interesting as a background to this is that the Old Testament law uh, in Deuteronomy and Exodus and Leviticus is filled with laws that protected poor people, right? Uh, Exodus 23, the Sabbath. And if you want to write some of these down and go back and look at them later, uh, the Old Testament law codes are full of these kind of laws. But Exodus 23 uh, gave, them, gave the people a daily Sabbath. And that was not just for the owners, it was also for the workers. Everybody got to rest, okay? Um, Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 15, the whole, almost the whole chapter deals with laws regarding the poor. And so it talks about the Sabbath year. Every seventh year, you gave your fields a break. Wouldn't you want that every seventh year just to stop and not work, like not work for a whole year? Wouldn't that be awesome? We don't have any record that they actually ever did that in the Old Testament, but God commanded them to do it. Uh, And then every 49th year, the the seven of sevens was the year of Jubilee. All debts were canceled. All slaves uh, were released. uh, All land that had been lost was returned to its original owners, right? It reset everything. Old Testament law allowed for, uh, told told landowners uh, to not, harvest their entire property. They were, they were to leave the edges so that the poor could come behind them and glean. So it said, don't harvest your whole field. Don't, don't squeeze everything you can out of production. Leave some behind for people to come through. Now notice there's work built into that. It didn't say, harvest all of your land and give some of it. 
to the poor. It said, leave it in the field, and then the poor would come and work, and they would glean some food from your harvest land. All right, so the Old Testament law had these things uh, built in. They were protected from uh, interest-bearing loans. If a, if a fellow Israelite uh, fell into poverty and needed a loan, they were forbidden from charging interest. You just had to give them a loan. Uh, again, so that they would not be stuck in poverty. Um, so what do we do with this? Uh, at least one way that we apply this is we need to learn to think more broadly about poverty, right? It's not just material poverty. Uh, it's not just lack of means, but it's lack of status and lack of connection. All of those things are wrapped up in the Old Testament idea of what it meant to be poor. And here's the, here's the heart that God wants to see in his people. This is in Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. He says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care. Lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and, you, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. So that was the Old Testament code. But what's interesting is when we move into the New Testament, we see the community of Jesus, the church, being exactly what Israel failed to be. What we see, the description we see at the end of the book of Acts is as, uh, as rich and poor gather together around the apostles' teaching and around the table, it says nobody had any need. People were sharing their goods. Uh, what John tells us in 1 John three sixteen and 18, he says, If you see your brother in need and you don't give, how can the love of God be in you? Some pretty stark words there. So that maybe answers the question of who are the poor. So it can be a broad category. Uh, yes, right? So, so we tend to be, right? We tend to fall in one of two camps. Uh, either poverty is the result of, of lack of responsibility, right? Personal, if, so the answer is more personal responsibility, less poverty. Uh, or the other camp says poverty is the result of broken systems, Right, and unjust systems. Fix the system, we fix poverty. And what's interesting is the Bible thinks both of those are too simplistic. The Bible, the Bible doesn't swing to, to either or. It says, yes, we have broken people who are irresponsible. And so where people can work, they need to work. But you also have, you also, you also have conditions where you have disability, where you have death, where you have disease, where you have other issues. We also need to make sure that there are just systems to help with those people as well. And that's what the, old, that's what the Bible seeks to set up. So the, so the Bible's answer to this question of poverty is not either or. It's actually both. Right? It, navigates, uh, it navigates a better way. Now, here's the really tricky part. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes you have, in fact, uh, a lot of times you have both issues at work. Right? So... We've interacted with a, a number of people who've made unwise choices, sinful choices, and that has got them stuck. But then you start asking questions about their families, 
And you see like, oh, her mom made those same choices. Her grandmother made the same choices before that. Her great-grandmother before that. Like, if you're engaged in foster care, right, you hear, you've heard this story a lot. Right? So, yes, there are sinful choices. And those need to be addressed. But there are also long-standing systems that need to be addressed, too. Uh, and the Bible speaks to both. Um, so what is justice? What, when we say that word, what do we mean? And if you look at Proverbs 31.9, judging righteously is paralleled with defending the poor and needy. Judging righteously. So, okay, what is, what is righteous? Well, whatever is right and true, whatever is in accord with God's law, that is what is righteous, whatever is right and true. Uh, and so, for instance, Proverbs twenty nine fourteen says, if a king faithfully or with truth judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. Proverbs 29, 7, a righteous man, and remember what we said before, a righteous person is the person who disadvantages himself to advantage the community. And the wicked person is the person who disadvantages the community to advantage himself. Proverbs 29, 7, a righteous man knows the rights of the poor, knows what is uh, just for the poor. So what is righteous? Whatever is right and true. Another way to answer this uh, question about what is justice is what is fair or equitable. Now, there's a buzzword, right? What is fair? If you guys have any comments on today's sermon, Rich Tipton is my name. Uh, I'll give you my phone number in just a minute. Um, listen to this, Leviticus 19.15. So this comes from Israel's law. Here's what it says. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. So what is justice? It's not showing partiality to the poor or to the great. So why in the world does the Old Testament law safeguard the, the rights of the poor when it never really speaks much to the rights of the, the rich? Why does Old Testament wisdom speak more to the plight of the poor than it does to the rich? And the answer is because we have a, we have a drift, right? We have, we, we have a problem with partiality. Um, so that one of the first cars that I drove uh, was uh, a 90s-something Astro van. It sounded like a jumbo jet taking off every time I pressed the gas pedal. Uh, and the faster it went, it kind of drifted, you know? Like I was always having to correct on the steering wheel, okay? Our hearts have a drift. And if we're honest, our hearts drift to defer. Who, who do we, if we're going to show partiality to somebody in judgment, are we going to defer to the great person or the lesser person? We have a tendency to, I don't know about you, but I defer to the greater person, right? The person whose act is put together, the person who looks good, the person who's well off and has connections, right? That's the way that our hearts tend to go. And so the, the Bible goes out of its way to say, don't overlook these people. Defend the rights of these people. Uh, Proverbs 22, 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor. Or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause 
and rob of life those who rob them. It's interesting that God calls us to defend the rights of the poor because they don't have a defender. He tells he, uh, King Lemuel right here, he says, right, open your mouth for those who are mute. Why? Because they have no one to speak for them. They have no one else to defend their rights. Uh, maybe they, they don't have the legal savvy necessary to, to navigate the justice system. Maybe they don't have the vocabulary necessary to, to speak their case in an intelligent way. There are all manner of ways that this could be an unjust system. And so God speaks to the king here, but I think to every righteous person and says, make sure you don't cooperate with that. Make sure you go out of your way to defend the rights of those who are in need. Why? Because the Lord is their defender. Right? When you are opposed to the poor, when you are opposed to the afflicted, when you are opposed to the needy, you find yourself opposed to God. Just so you know, this is a New Testament theme as well. You can flip over to the book of James. James one twenty seven says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Now before I finish that sentence, what does pure religion look like? In your mind, what, how would you fill in that blank? Pure and undefiled religion is blank. There's something in your, go ahead, in your mind and fill in that blank. Okay? Here's what James says. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, I wonder how many of us would answer the second one. Yeah, pure religion is keeping yourself unstained from the world, right? Don't, don't do the things God says are bad. That's, that's good religion. But the word of God gives us both. It's like we saw in Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I'm all good with number three, but I'm really challenged when it comes to loving mercy and doing justice, right? That's a challenge. Uh, we're not just it's, it's not just a me, and, me and my personal Jesus, but my relationship with Jesus is reflected in how I care, especially for those who cannot or will not care for themselves. Now, this is where, what does that look like? All right, so let's try to bring together this idea of poverty and justice and, and what this looks like. Is it, or, or, again, we've already said that Old Testament law didn't give handouts, right? Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't that kind of system uh, it created work and ability. But what it also did, interestingly enough, is that the poor got to eat from the same tithe as the priests, the Levites. And in the festivals, uh, in the religious festivals where everybody would come together in the Old Testament, uh, the poor got to sit at the same table, right? The, 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 the table was open to everybody. And so, so it, was a, it was an equal table, right? Everybody appeared before the Lord, rich and poor alike. So practically, how do we do this? What might this look like? Just to give you an example, I remember talking with a, a gentleman uh, who was complaining or lamenting uh, the fact that he had driven by a couple of guys sitting on their porches not doing anything during the middle of the day. Right? They, weren't, they weren't working, and he was complaining about it. And he said, maybe that, you know, Surely they could go 
mow somebody's grass or something, do something productive. And so in you know, one moment of rare clarity, um, I challenged the brother and said, because this guy was retired, uh, and he, he had retired early from the military, so he was relatively young. He had time on his hands. And I said, well, what if you got your lawnmower, put it in your truck, drove to that house, and said, hey, guys, I can teach you how to run this lawnmower, and we can help you start a lawnmowing business. Right? Uh, he, had, he had the means and time available. I realize not everybody has that. Um, but we're really good at opining. I wonder, if, I wonder if God would have us do something better than just opine, uh, if he would have us dig in and do something different. Uh, why should we care? Why should we care about the poor? Why does all this matter? I want you to remember what makes a thing right or good is the character of God himself. That, that all of God's law and all of God's wisdom is rooted in, in who he is as a person. Right? So uh, when we say is something right or wrong or good or bad, it all comes back with reference to what is God like? Who, how does God's character inform us here? And what we see here is... We should care because God cares. Proverbs 22.2 says, Rich and poor meet together, but the Lord is the maker of them all. What's that telling us? Even playing field when it comes to the Lord. Right? We're all, we've all been given different gifts and graces and uh, abilities in life. Some of us were born into well-to-do families. Some of us not so much. Some of us have really improved on that. Some of us haven't done a whole lot. And so there is unevenness in humanity, but not before the Lord. None of those things gain us any brownie points before the Lord. The Lord is the maker of them all. And then Proverbs nineteen seventeen says something interesting. It says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Again, because the Lord is the defender of the poor and needy. So why should we care? Because God cares. Another reason we should care is because it glorifies and pleases God. Proverbs 14.3 Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Uh, what we're talking about here when we talk about poverty is a, a glory of God issue. Poverty is a result of the fall. Poverty is a result of the break between God and man, between man and man, and between man and creation. All right? Now, that's, we, we talked some about that in our Sunday school class, and that's a, there's, a, there's a lot in that. But let's just suffice it to say that poverty is the result of the fall. And so, listen to, uh, this is from a guy named Cornelius Van Dam. He wrote a book called The Deacon, and he says this. Liberation from bondage had the overriding purpose of setting the people free to serve the Lord their God according to his will. So he's talking about the Old Testament law, and the purpose of it was to set people free so they could serve themselves? No, so they could serve the Lord their God. A person could function best in God's service when unencumbered by affliction and material needs. Then he could truly do his calling joyfully 
as God intended for his people. So the, so the purpose of those Old Testament laws is basically this, to set people free so that they can enjoy God more, so that they can worship and serve God more, so they can fulfill their God-ordained calling. Right? So it's a glory of God issue. It glorifies God when people are set free to worship and adore him and serve him, right? Uh, and you think about uh, what debt does to your ability to serve the Lord, right? It's like, it's like a hole in the boat, uh, like you're always having to bail water out. Well, think about uh, poverty and affliction in similar ways. If you're always having to bail water out of the boat, you can't fish, which is why you got in the water to begin with. Right? So is there a way that we can help people uh, plug the hole in the boat so they can fish? But finally, why we should care about the poor is because ultimately this is the gospel. And I don't mean social gospel. I don't mean any of that. Um, I mean that what Jesus demonstrates to us is this very thing. Right? Uh, so the, where, where would I find this verse? God helps those who help themselves. Where in the Bible would I find that? You wouldn't find it in the Bible. Because it's actually antithetical to the whole message of the Bible. It is an anti-gospel. It is an anti-Christ. Right? God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those who would not and could not help themselves. That's the gospel. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And he gets some, he starts getting hassled by the religious leaders. And, he, and they say, why are you doing that? Why are you eating with those people? And here's what Jesus says. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's the heart of Jesus. Jesus moved, moved towards those in need. And who is in need? Me. And you. Jesus moves toward need, not away from it. Jesus doesn't move halfway to the need and say, come on. He moves all the way. He does what is necessary. Romans 5, 8 and 9. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners. Not on the way to righteousness. Not, okay, finally I got my act together. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's, there's how God moves toward need. And I believe his wisdom calls us to do the same. I know that's a complicated topic. I know that, that, that it can be applied in several different ways. But my hope this morning is that our hearts, is that at least the trajectory of how we think about this would be set by God's word. Right? You might say, I don't know, man, that sounds kind of political. I don't really know what that means. Um, if by political you mean that, you know, the, the preacher, the pulpit should not advocate a certain policy or a certain candidate... I would mostly agree with that. But if by politics you mean the way that our society is governed, well, we believe that God's word has a lot to say to that. We believe that there's good truth here. 
And we want to take that good truth out there so that the world is transformed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 